just going to pray again. Um, yeah, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that we can meet together, Jesus, and just hear your word uh, that is so applicable still to us today. So, Jesus, I just ask that you would speak through me, Jesus, that it would be your words and not my own words. Amen. All right, so this last couple weeks we've been talking through the book of Malachi. This is a really interesting book. It's right at the end of the Old Testament going into the New Testament. And, and it's, it's a book that, that wants us to look back into Israel's story. And it wants us to look forward into the New Testament. When I was writing a little blurb, like summary about the book, I said it's a bridge book because it, it points back, it reviews all of Israel's story, and it points forward as it calls us into the New Testament and to what Jesus is going to do. So, so last week we talked about how God is bringing up with his priests, with his Levites, that they're getting apathetic in their worship. They're bringing animals that are blind or can't really walk. They're not very good, they're not very good offerings. They're getting apathetic. They're getting lazy in their offerings. And so God and the prophet Malachi are saying, like, what are you doing? Like, this is not what I asked you to do. Like, you bring better stuff to the, to the emperor of Persia than you do to me. And you don't think I'm going to notice? Like, so God is, is calling them to say, hey, you need to get better in your life of worship. And so this is actually one of the calls of Israel. Is Israel's call from the very beginning when he makes them a nation is to love God and to love others. This is how they're going to set themselves apart to all the other nations of, of the ancient Near East at the time. All the other ancient Near Easterns were, they would fear their God. They're thinking, oh, God's going to smite me down. It wasn't a loving relationship. And then also there was rampant human sacrifice, child sacrifice, all these things going on that they didn't love others. And so this was how they were going to set themselves apart is by worshiping in a more pure way and by loving others in a pure way. And, but they've, they failed at this. We see that throughout throughout the narrative section of, of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way into First and Second Kings, we see that they fail at this. And so God, God says, I'm going to have to send you into exile. So God brings the Babylonians and the Persians, and they, they wreak havoc, and they, they take Israel out of the land and back home. And they're away from the temple where they're supposed to worship God. They're scattered. Their whole... Their whole nation is no longer a nation. That their whole defining attribute is gone about of them. But then eventually, God says, okay, it's time for you to come back to the land. So he gives them grace. He gives them grace with the emperor. And the emperor sends them back into the land. And they rebuild the temple. They rebuild Jerusalem. And they start to rebuild. But they're just as bad as their ancestors. They, they come back and said, all right. We can't screw this up this time. And man, do they keep screwing it up. Like I said, they're bringing bad offerings. They're getting apathetic. And they're not loving their neighbor either. Um, so they're still, they're still oppressed. The Spirit of God hasn't filled the temple again. So they may be back in the land, but they aren't like really out of exile. Nothing's changed since they're exiled. Nothing's changed. And then we see in this passage in Malachi, we see that he says... Uh, that the people of Israel are saying, where is the God of justice? Where is the God of justice? God, bring us out of this. And so God says, is really, that really what you want? Is it really what you want for me to come back? Are you sure about this? And he's asking this because now 
there's an example that this is not an original example. I stole this from one of my teachers. So imagine when you're a kid, your mom says, all right, Jimmy, I'm going to go out for the day. I need you to sweep the floor, clean the bathroom, and do the dishes. And if you don't come back, there's gonna, if I come back and it isn't done, there's going to be some serious consequences. Now, if your mom leaves for the day and you go right to it, you clean up, you clean up all your stuff, you do your thing. When mom drives in the driveway, you're going to say, oh, yay, mom's home. This is great. I love my mom. But those of you who are parents out there, I'm sure know, if you come back and your kids haven't done it, what are you going to think? Now, if you're a kid, you're going to see this and you think, and mom's going to come home and you're going to go, oh, shoot, mom's home. Uh-oh, we're going to be in big trouble now because we haven't done what she asked. And this is, this is exactly what God is trying to say. He's like, you're not doing what I told you to do. When I come home, when God comes, like, you're asking me to come, but are you sure that's what you want? Are you sure? Because I'm not, I, nothing, it's not going to be good. It isn't going to be good. He says, behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. That's in 3, verse 1. And so this, that verse, so one thing to know about Old Testament prophets is that most of their stuff isn't original. Uh, the Old Testament prophets are often calling back or word for word repeating what was said in the law. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Exodus 23, verse 20. If you don't have a Bible, I think there's some in the pews or you should have one on your phone. If you're there, great. If not, I'll give you a, a second. But Exodus 23, 20 says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place I prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. So, behold, I send an angel. Behold, I send a messenger. This is pretty, pretty similar. Malachi is like directly stealing from what Exodus says. So to the people of Israel who know this, they know, oh, this is from the Exodus story. This is from when God saved us last time. This is great. God's going to send his angel. He's going to send his messenger. This is going to be great. It's going to be just like the Exodus. He's going to free us. He's going to give us our own kingdom again. This is awesome. But that's not where Malachi's message ends, if you keep reading. He says, in uh, the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Yes. Oh, wait, hold on. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. This would like drain the color from your face. So you're like, uh, what's God going to do? Uh, he's going to come and clean things and it's not going to be good. Right? That's like, this is a little bit scary. This should be scary. That what God says here is when he comes back, it's not going to be good for everyone. Israel hasn't listened to God. They've rebelled, and he promised to punish that transgression in Exodus. This isn't a new thing. God, is, God has been saying all along, he says, look, if you listen to me, this is going to be really good for you. But if you don't listen, we can't have this. We can't have this relationship. So God's going to come, and he's going to cleanse his people, and that's not going to be fun. I, a couple of weeks ago, I had a youth group. We played ultimate frisbee outside. And I was wearing a brand new pair of jeans, a nice new pair of blue jeans. 
and it was dark, so I couldn't see whatnot. I thought I was all fine, and then I got back and just massive grass stain all the way down my leg. And I'm like, man, uh-oh, these jeans might be ruined. <laughs> so I spent the night scrubbing and scrubbing, and I did vinegar on it. I did all sorts of stuff to clean it. And I, it was, it's abrasive to clean stuff sometimes, right? Like scrubbing things, like that can hurt sometimes. I'm sure like if any of you have like scrubbed, been trying to scrub something with like steel wool and you get your knuckles, like it doesn't always feel good to scrub, to scrub knuckles or to scrub things and to clean things. It's an abrasive thing. There's, there's strong chemicals being used in scrubbing. It's not fun to be clean always. And so let's remember back to last week. God's been talking to the priests. He's upset that they've grown apathetic. So he's going to do something about that when he comes. He's going to clean them. Now, I want to break down, I want to jump back a little bit into who these Levites are. Uh, It talks about them in verse, verse 3. He says, He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they'll bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. So, Levi was a son of Israel, of Jacob. He was the grandson of Abraham. These characters should stand out to you if you've read the Old Testament at all. Um, and when, when God kind of is deciding what they're going to do uh, after the Exodus, he says that the sons of Levite, Levi I will set apart to be priests in my temple. He does this with Aaron, who is Moses' brother, and after that. It's, so it's from the sons of Levi, this one tribe, that the priests always come from. So these, the, being a Levite, it is a family identity, but it also has an inextricable responsibility that goes with it, right? Being a Levite means you have to do this. It's part of, it's, it's inextricable. And this isn't like a, it's not a bad thing to have this responsibility. In, in fact, that's an honor to have this responsibility. But they're inextricable. You can't be a Levite without also having to serve in the temple. They were keepers of the law, the Levitical law. And what the law does, like if we've read the law, if you've read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the law is about worshiping God. Um, and the point of the law is to set the nation apart. Like I just talked about, it's supposed to love God and love others. And this is going to set them apart from the other nations. And this is how they're going to show God to the nations. Like I said, there's human sacrifice, care, little care for widow and sojourner, all these things. But Israel's law sets them apart. But the biggest thing about, especially about the law, like I said, is that it, it has the, the love God and fear God part, but actually the whole heart of the law is to love people. Where in the ancient Near East, the love of people was so low. Uh, when God gives Moses the initial law in Exodus 20, he gives him the Ten Commandments. He gives then a lot about how to build an altar, how to worship, and the next three chapters are about how to love your neighbor well. It's stuff like, here's laws about social justice. Here's laws about restitution, if I do something wrong. All these things that it's about people. And actually, if you look at the wider scope of uh, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, these are called the Torah, so it's law in Hebrew. And actually, at the very, very center of this, so the whole thing, Genesis and Deuteronomy echo each other, Exodus and Numbers do echo each other, and then Leviticus is in the middle, and in the very, very middle of Leviticus is laws about how to love your neighbor well. So the very heart of the law 
is about loving your neighbor. This is it's the very heart of the law. So while the priest's duties were in the temple and were to um, make the bread of the presence and light all the candles and do all these things, their whole duty was actually to help people encounter God and to, to help the people have restitution and be in relationship with God. And where they had, yeah, like they said, there's lots of ceremony and all these things, but most of it was about dealing with people. And not only were the Levite priests called to this, but Israel had actually been called to be a nation of priests. In Exodus 19, he says, Now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. That actually is even before he sets the Levites apart, that he has this whole nation. He says, you will be priests to me. And so this whole nation is set out to love one another. Love, love, love. It's the heart of this law. Even though it seems like there's a lot of ceremony, the whole heart of the law is to love one another. But this is what the, the people in Malachite, Malachite, Malachi, have been forgetting. It says that there will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, the adulterers, those who swear falsely, oppress hired workers, who cast aside the widow and fatherless and the sojourner. Uh, before this, he talks, about, um, he talks about divorce and how God hates divorce. He, they're not loving their neighbor well. They're not doing what they're supposed to do to love each other. And this is really evident then, if we look forward, to when Jesus comes on the scene. Like I said, Malachi is all about, it's looking backwards. I guess to you guys, that way would be more backwards. And it's looking forwards. Um, so this is really evident when Jesus comes on the scene. And it's actually so evident that this is what the first verse of Mark is. That Mark talks about this. He says, uh, uh, he says that, behold, I, send my, I will send my messenger to prepare straight paths for me. The whole book of Mark is asking, okay, there's going to be a messenger coming. God has promised this. How are you going to respond? Are you going to learn to love your neighbor well? Are you going to learn to worship God rightly? And so this is, this is what Jesus comes for. And Jesus' harshest interactions are with the Pharisees and the religious rulers, these people who, who say that they love God and love their neighbor, but actually all they're doing is wearying God with their words. He's going to cleanse the temple. So Jesus comes and he flips over all the tables in the, in the temple. And he calls them like a brood of vipers and all this stuff that's like, whoa, Jesus, why are you being so harsh to these guys? It's because they're loving only in their word and not their deed. Just like the Israelites in Malachi are doing. Jesus' whole shtick is that they've forgotten the heart of the law. In Isaiah 29, it says that their fear of God is a commandment taught by men that it, it's, only, it's only become a word that I'm saying, you should fear God. And that's, that's the heart of it. That doesn't really have any impact. It's, I don't actually fear God because I've only been told this. I don't have any real relationship. I don't have any real reason to fear God. But this isn't where it ends, though. Um, eventually it gets so bad, even, that they kill Jesus, that their hearts are so hard to loving one another that when somebody says, you're not doing this, they kill Jesus. This is how much they've turned from God. But we know that that's not the end, though. That Jesus rises again, he defeats death, he defeats sin, and he rips the veil. I say that really nonchalantly, but that's crazy. That this, it forgives us of sins, forgives us of sins, 
But it also brings us into this nation of priests too. That the veil is torn. Access to God is no longer restricted. So we're all priests in the temple now. We all have the responsibility that the kingdom of Israel has. We all have the, the responsibility of the Levites, right? We all have this family identity in the family of God that is inextricable from action, that is inextricable from these duties. First Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we are now counted among the Levites. We are the ones who now have an inextricable task. Our salvation is a gift and a task. That we aren't just saved from something, but we are saved for something. We are part of a multi-ethnic international mission to save the world. We're saved to show God's love and care to the world, right? That we're a part of the kingdom of God. We're a part of the family of God who, in love, is supposed to expand. Right? We're supposed to love each other. So that's, that's who we are. But the question still stands, though, of who can stand on the day of his presence, of him coming. Malachi's question is again repeated in Revelation. Uh, it says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. But the question still stands, though, of who can stand. So we know that we're brought into this identity, but who can stand on the day that he comes? And it's the ones who are doing the opposite of verse 5 in Malachi. Those who are not practicing sorcery, who are, who are loving their wives and their husbands, those who aren't swearing falsely, who are telling the truth. Those who don't oppress their hired workers. Those who, who care for the widow and the fatherless and the sojourner. And who fear the Lord. That's a big task. It's a big task. The beauty of it, though, is that the veil is torn. That the Spirit of God is in us. Like Ezekiel says, as, I think it's Ezekiel or Jeremiah says that God is going to have to come and send his spirit to change us, to write the law on our hearts because we cannot remember the law because we don't know the law well enough. The law will be written on our hearts so that we might do it. This is the beauty of it, is that I don't have to do it on my own anymore. Not only is it available, though, but it's so desperately needed to come and clean us. I can't do this. Man, I can't love my neighbor well on my own. Man, I get frustrated with people. It's so easy to get frustrated with people. Man, it's so easy for me to just pass by the homeless guy on the street because I'm just too tired to do it. Because I feel apathetic or because I feel like, ah, someone else will help him or, ah, he got himself into this situation. It's so easy to do that. And I so desperately need the Holy Spirit to come in and cleanse me. I want to be like the sons of Levi who will be refined in gold and silver. And that's a painful process. But man, there's nothing else on this earth that I want more than for the day to come and for Jesus to say, well done, good and faithful servant. There's nothing on this earth I want more. 
So that's kind of the question that I pose to you today. I feel like I'm short again, but that's okay. And it's to, to ask, are we, are we living as the ones who are, who are offering the pleasing offering to God, like in the days of old? Are we living as those people that are in verse 5? Or are we doing the opposite? Are we living in God's character? Where do I need God to come and cleanse me? And remember that this cleansing isn't just because he's angry or he wants us to be clean for the sake of being clean. No, it's because he wants relationship with us and we can't have relationship with a holy God unless we are holy. And, he, and because he wants to use us too. This, is a, this has a mission that doesn't just want to save us for the sake of saving us, but he wants to save us so that we can go for the marvelous light. We can spread that, like it says in First Peter, it's that you, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. So then I ask, are you loving people well in your relationships, in your marriage? Am I loving people in my workplace, whether I am the boss or the employee? Am I loving people in how I reach the least of these? And that's a big question. But we have to remember that the Holy Spirit wants to do that in us. That it's his desire to have us this way. He doesn't just say, go do it now. But he says, no, go do it and I'm going to be with you. So Jesus, come and cleanse us. Holy Spirit, point out the, the places in our heart where we have not loved. Lord, we don't want to be like the people in Malachi who just are apathetic towards loving and only love and only only praise you in word, but not in deed, in action. Jesus, we want to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. We want to hear that, Jesus. So Lord, come and cleanse us. Jesus, our hearts are open to you, so come and cleanse us, Jesus. And thank you that you already have cleansed us, Jesus. Thank you that your blood has washed us whiter than snow. Because, Jesus, that's the beauty of it, is that you've already cleansed us, Jesus, that that we are justified, Jesus. Yeah, so thank you, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. And, Jesus, we want to serve you well. We want to love like you do. Amen.